Hello, and welcome to the Turbulent World of Middle East Soccer, or Mid-East Soccer Podcast. I'm your host, James Dorsey. Political transition in the Middle East and North Africa operates so far on the principle of the king is dead, long live the king. Libya's battle for Tripoli alongside ongoing mass anti-government demonstrations that toppled autocratic leaders of Algeria and Sudan demonstrate that both popular Arab protests that in 2011 forced the resignation of four presidents and the counter-revolution it provoked are alive and kicking. Protesters in Algeria and Sudan are determined to prevent a repeat of Egypt, where United Arab Emirates and Saudi-backed military officer rolled back the achievements of their revolt to install a brutal dictatorship, or of Yemen, Libya, and Syria that have suffered civil wars aggravated by interference of foreign powers. In Libya, Field Marshal Khalifa Belkassim Haftar, the UAE-Saudi-Egyptian-supported warlord, hopes that his assault on the capital Tripoli the seat of the country's United Nations recognized government will either end the conflict militarily or at the very least significantly increase his leverage in peace talks. In all three countries, Saudi Arabia and the UAE, the two Gulf nations most determined to maintain the Middle East and North Africa's autocratic structure at whatever cost, have sought to either bolster military resolve to remain a decisive political force or support the rise of forces that fit their agenda. Saudi Arabia and the UAE last week pledged $3 billion in an aid package to Sudan, including a $500 million cash injection and transfers of cheap food, fuel, and medicine. The aid package contributed to deepening divisions among the opposition that has vowed to continue street protests despite the ousting of President Omar al-Bashir, the resignation of senior military officers, including the intelligence chief, and the arrest of Mr. al-Shir's brothers. While some Sudanese demanded that the military council reject the aid, other opposition groups, including several armed factions, traveled to Abu Dhabi to discuss a UAE-Saudi-backed military proposal for a military-led transition council that would include civilians. The Saudis and Emiratis are also hoping that Taha Osman al-Hussein, who was widely viewed as one of the most influential people in Mr. al-Bashir's inner circle, will play a key role in safeguarding the military's position. Mr. al-Hussein returned to Khartoum this month from two years in exile in the kingdom, where he served as an African affairs advisor to the Saudi court after having been unceremoniously sacked in 2017 on suspicion that he was a Saudi intelligence asset. Moreover, the head of Sudan's military council, Lieutenant General Abdel Fattah Abdelrahman Burhan, and his deputy, Lieutenant General Mohammed Hamdan Dagalo, a paramilitary commander known as Hemeti, developed close ties to the Gulf states in their former roles as commanders of the Sudan contingent 
fighting in Yemen in support of the Saudi-UAE alliance. A commander of feared Arab militias accused of genocide in Darfur, General Dagalo is widely viewed as ambitious and power-hungry. His rapid support forces are deployed across Khartoum. Western officials privately describe General Dagalo as potentially Sudan's sissy, a reference the Egyptian general turned president Abdel Fattah al-Sisi, who came to power in 2013 in a UAE-Saudi-supported military coup. Mr. al-Sisi has introduced one of the most repressive regimes in recent Egyptian history. Western diplomats said General Dagalo's ambitions virtually guaranteed that the military would not fully surrender power in any negotiated transition. The military's role in deposing President Hosni Mubarak as a result of a popular revolt in 2011 and subsequently restoring the military's grip on power, coupled with concern about General Dagalo, inspired one of the Sudanese protesters' chants, it's either victory or Egypt. Western and Arab diplomats also see Saudi Arabia and the UAE in the background of General Burhan's decision not to meet with Gaddafi Foreign Minister Mohammed bin Abdulrahman Al Thani days after receiving a Saudi UAE delegation. Sudan has since said it was working out arrangements for a Gaddafi visit. Saudi Arabia and the UAE, together with Egypt and Bahrain, have diplomatically and economically boycotted Qatar for the past 22 months in a bid to force the Gulf states to toe their geopolitical line. For now, Mr. Haftar's offensive has waylaid a UN-sponsored peace conference that was expected to achieve an agreement that would have ensured that Islamists would continue to be part of the Libyan power structure. Mr. Haftar, like his regional backers, accuses the Tripoli government of being dominated by Islamists, the Bet Noir of the UAE, Egypt, and Saudi Arabia. On a visit to Saudi Arabia days before launching his attack on Tripoli, Mr. Haftar reportedly was promised millions of dollars in support in talks with Saudi King Salman and his powerful son, Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman, in defiance of the United Nations arms embargo. The battle for Libya could prove to be Mr. Haftar's most difficult military offensive. His Libyan National Army already controls Libya's second city of Benghazi and much of the rest of the country, where it met relatively little resistance. The battle also serves as a warning to protesters in Sudan and Algeria, whose demands for fundamental change risk upsetting the UAE, Saudi Arabia, and Egypt's apple cart. With no swift victory in sight in the battles of Tripoli, Libya risks another round of protracted war that could be aggravated by the fact that it is as much a domestic fight as it is a multi-layered proxy war. Unlike Sudan, Libya has passed the corner. Years of civil and proxy wars have devastated the country and laid the groundwork for further violence. Algeria and Sudan still have a chance of avoiding the fate of Libya, or for that matter, Syria and Yemen. As the battle in Tripoli unfolds, Libya looms large as a live example of what is at stake. Protesters in Sudan and Algeria up, up against forces 
whose factors have proven that there is little that they will shy away from to achieve their objectives. Libya is but the latest example. The king's fate is at stake in the fighting in streets of southern Tripoli. His fate hangs like a sword of Damocles in the balance in the streets of Algiers and Khartoum. Thank you for joining me today. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. A written version of this podcast is on my blog, The Turbulent World of Middle East Soccer at MideastSoccer.blogspot.com. Please join me for my next podcast in the coming days. All the best and take care.